Welcome to The Depollution, the podcast from Salvage Wire. In this podcast, we interview interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and the vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire the whole industry. In this podcast, we welcome Jane Pocock, Managing Director of Copart UK. Copart is one of the world's leading salvage auction sites, and Jane gives us an insight into the effort Copart are making to maintain their status and improve the business. Let's get straight into my conversation with Jane. Jane, thank you so much for being part of our podcast and for, for agreeing to talk to us. Just as a bit of an introduction, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, who you've, who you've worked for and your current role and, and, and the company that you work for now? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me today. It's been a real pleasure to come along and have a conversation with you. Um, yeah, so looking back at my career, um, I, my first job was working for the Automobile Association and I had several roles while I was working for them um, over the 17 years that I was there, um, mostly operational roles and I looked after the, the AA's five-star service product which covered the whole of Europe. So I had quite a lot of cultural experience um, from a young age, a lot of operation experience and a lot of responsibility. And I actually loved having that accountability and also working for a household brand and working in an environment where the customer really mattered and we had to offer a very fast and efficient, reliable service. All of those things very much aligned to my personality. So that's was a really great time in my life. The AA was a great company for developing its staff. And I know I was um, educated really well there and I've had some fantastic mentors along the way um, that I'm still in contact with today. So after I, um, during my time at the AA, we basically had gone from sort of private ownership to public ownership, Concentrica and the AA for a period of time. And then it went into private equity ownership and after I'd been part of the senior senior leadership team, sort of managing the, sh- the reshaping of the company under the private equity management, I then chose to leave the business mm-hmm. um, and I'm to pursue um, running my own business. So it was just at the time when a lot of internet retail outlets were really taking off. And one thing, and because I had experience in the automotive sector, um, it really appealed to me that I could run an internet business, um, retailing new vehicles, um, predominantly commercial vehicles, which um, <clears throat> were easier to sell online at the time, because it was at the time when people were sort of um, slightly hesitant about buying a vehicle without seeing it, and obviously managing finance and things remotely. So we built up a lot of support from um, a very reliable customer base buying sort of white vans of various shapes and sizes um, from the company. So so I then um, developed that. That was during the last recession. So that had some tricky nail-biting days when um, when 2008, when the floor dropped out of the credit, you know, the credit crunch came along. So so we slowly climbed out of sort of recession and built um, a very successful business um, on the back of the website and our relationships with finance companies and that was um, put up for sale a couple of years ago and bought by Virtu Motor Company so um, that's now integrated into a dealership group 
Um, and at that moment in time, I sort of decided that I had probably one really big job left in me. And I was in sort of debating whether or not I took up another kind of business um, sort of for myself. And then a colleague of mine that I've known for um, sort of 17 years, the, the sort of previous um, CEO of Copart, um, just got in touch with me and said, you know, we're looking for somebody to take over the UK. Would you be interested? And um, my original thought was, why do I want to go back and be an employee? And do what on earth do I want to have something to do with salvage when I've been literally selling bright, new, shiny, yeah. new things? Yeah. And then I started to look at the business and the fact that I'd never, um, I'd worked all over Europe, sort of 32 countries of Europe, but I'd never had any interaction with the US. Mm-hmm. And what really appealed to me was that how fast the, the company had grown and how dynamic it was. And um, and it's got such an entrepreneurial feel, even though it's a global entity. And I thought that the, the ethos um, of the sort of US is very much around, you know, you can do it, anything's possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that ethos was very much um, aligned to my way of thinking. So I sort of went for my interview in Dallas. And to be honest, once you meet the CEO of the company, you cannot help but be immediately inspired by his enthusiasm and his commitment to the business, but also the fact that the people feel so incredibly valued. And and I think that combination um, is something that was hugely attractive to me. So, um, So I came back from came back from my interview in Dallas thinking, okay, I definitely do want to be an employee all over again. And, um, and I'm going to give this my best shot. And, um, and so I took up the role about 18 months ago now. Um, and we're going through a new expansion phase. So we've been, um, we've been buying some new land and we've been replacing our transporter network with new Euro six engine transporters. Mm -hmm. So we're basically going through a phase of reinvigorating the company. Um, We've invested in a lot of technology. Um, And so, so for me, it's been great because I've been able to make some recommendations and they've been fulfilled. Brilliant. Um, And, and and I'm really enjoying having a, having a boss sort of that's um, across the pond and, and gives me great advice and guidance. Fantastic. So, uh, so it's been good. So it's really, really been good. And um, I am, I'm, I definitely, definitely made the right decision for me. And, and the combination of operational experience, commercial entrepreneurial experience, those two married together are exactly what you need in um, in this environment. Amazing, amazing. So how many, employees oh, yeah, so have you got, how many people have you got working for you in, in the UK now? So we've got almost 1,200 people based in the UK. Um, and most of those are in our operation centres dotted yeah. around the country. Um, you know, we've got a fleet of, we've got um, sort of 240 drivers um, and we've got about 75 engineers. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so we've got um, a lot of people and a very engaged workforce. I'd be pleased to say when we're regularly communicating with them and we have a lot of internal surveys and yeah, great, great bunch of people. Amazing, mad, mad, amazing. Now, ha- having been involved with obviously with the AA, uh, w- which were which was breakdown services and 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 things like that, 
and then selling new vehicles, you've now moved into the salvage industry. How different have you found that um, yeah, to the areas that you've been involved with prior to, to your work with Copart? Um, it's, it's strange, really, because I feel like I've been training all my life for this job. Um, I would say that I think the things I learned from the AA were um, are really relevant in that we are we run an operational fleet of vehicles nationwide. You know, we carry a nationwide brand and we have a huge responsibility for moving salvage within a very limited time frame. We have to, you know, we are looking after somebody's asset, which is very similar to the AA, and it's a customer that's also had a distress distressing time. So very similar to a breakdown situation. You know, we have a lot of technology that we have to update. We have a lot of data to produce. You know, we're working on behalf of customers and the general public. So, so again, very aligned. Um, and I think that ethos of taking absolute care of the company intertwined with the technology is, is the aspect of the job that I've taken from the AA. And then the other side of our businesses. So we have this amazing relationship with all of our customers. A lot of them renew with us constantly, which was very similar again to the AA. And then the other half of the business is our members that buy from our auction. And the auction is very similar to running an online business in that you're promoting your business online. You have a registration process. Um, you have to, you, we've got the biggest shop window. So it's really important that we display all of the vehicles that are available for sale. And we've got to fulfill those sales in the quickest, um, the best way possible. So it, it was displaying our goods. So the only thing that's slightly different is now we have a duty of care to identify the damage on vehicles. Um, whereas before, you know, everything was polished and, and looked amazing and would be on a turntable. Now we're now we're identifying the flaws in our vehicles um, so that people can people can see what they're buying remotely. So it very much I, I'd sort of describe it as very much akin to eBay mm. in that, you know, your, we, our responsibility is to photograph the vehicle. Um, demonstrate exactly what's wrong with it and then put it up for sale to the biggest audience possible. And we're really lucky that we have got. A and so that allows us to get the, the highest prices for the vehicle. And um, over the decade that we've been in the UK, we, we without doubt drive the highest prices for salvage because you know, we've got the biggest shop window, yeah. basically. And, um, and we're, we're selling to um, a global customer base. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, um, no, uh, and vehicles are getting more complex and, and you know, you've seen that from your time with the AA and, and your time uh, with you know, running your own business and vehicles are getting more complex. Alternative fuel vehicles, electric and hybrid fuel cell and so on. Um, how is Copart changing and adapting to, to that technology? Because the risks and the dangers that are inherent in damaged electric vehicles are there, but also making certain that your your consumers, your your purchasers, as you mentioned just now, your global shop window, making certain that, that they are um, aware of the risks as well. Yeah, so um, I mean, in terms of the complexity, we are seeing more vehicles become end up in the total loss arena because of the complexity of repair and the sheer cost of repair and the availability of parts in a timely manner for repair. So. And um, although vehicles are still fitted with um, more and more safety equipment, 
now with airbags and detection systems we're still seeing as many um if not more accident damage vehicles end up with us because of the cost and complexity but um but then just going on to the electric vehicles i mean to be honest that isn't really anything it's not so new to us now they have sort of been in the market for about six years and over that time we've worked closely with manufacturers and Batchum and things to understand the makeup of these vehicles, the safety, the storage requirements, um, how to handle the batteries, because sometimes the batteries belong with the vehicle, sometimes they're leased. Um, so it's something we have worked on um, over that time. And we actually hold workshops with our insurance partners and their engineers to um to educate everybody basically on new on sort of changes and nuances in the market. And we have a very, very strong relationship with Renault and the electric vehicle um, department there. So we we sort of feel like we've catered for everything. And it's very much the nature of our company. We sort of get something new and think, right, OK, let's get everyone together, understand exactly what we need to know. Who do we whose expertise do we need to call on? Um, you know, let's organize a workshop and then disseminate this news across the whole company. And that sort of speed of response to that kind of thing happens every, with everything, you know, from cars, motorbikes, um, sort of through to plant and machinery. So, um, so I think the the kind of new and exciting projects um, very much inspire the the staff that we have to learn more. So, and it's and it's just a culture that's inbred within us. Um, and because we're a very compliant organisation, sort of risk management, health and safety is is critical. And again, when something new arrives on the market, then we want to know as much as possible so that we can keep our environment and our um, teammates safe. Amazing. That is amazing. We will come back to our conversation with Jane in a moment. As the global vehicle recycling industry faces the new post-lockdown normal, we are hosting a webinar to support vehicle recyclers as they explore what changes the industry could embrace to its benefit. Salvage Insight is a new programme from SalvageWire and will launch with a free one-hour webinar on Wednesday the 17th of June. For more details and information, please contact SalvageWire through our website www.salvagewire.com. We are creating a range of intensive management bootcamp hothouse options for business owners and managers who want to measure current value creation, create compelling customer experiences, market, promote and sell more effectively, improve profitability, manage smarter, determine the most effective management structure and create a strategic vision, refresh their mission statement and develop a business plan. This free one hour webinar on Wednesday the 17th of June is available to all. For more details and information, please contact SalvageWire. Back to our conversation with Jane. Um, you mentioned um, a, a, a moment ago about the the shop window and, and the fact that you've got customers from you know all over the world. Um, the ABI Code of Practice for Motor Salvage states that Category B vehicles should be destroyed and not go back into use. Now, Copart is selling Category B scrap only vehicles to overseas customers. How do you audit those uh, sales and ensure that those vehicles are not returned to use? So, um, 
I mean, the sort of the common denominator is that those vehicles um, are generally so badly damaged that nobody would, um, you know, in nowadays would look to um, re-register those vehicles. So, so you look at the situation that you know, you one, you don't have a registration document. So, and other countries have more stringent controls over issuing documentation than than we do in the UK. Plus, I think a lot of the operators in the UK just think within the parameters of our, our, our little island that we live on. And when you work for a global company, you realize how many controls and measures are actually available to you in terms of identifying individuals, looking at companies. So for us, there are no boundaries into the technology we have to trace people, to, to, to identify who they are. Um, so. The, the technology we access for setting up a new member is incredibly comprehensive and thorough. And I think that's the one thing that I've identified. There are a lot, lot of people in our industry that are quite localised and quite small thinkers. And our, our global thinking is incredible in these areas. Um, but to be honest, the, it's not a huge amount of people that would consider taking vehicles, category B vehicles outside of the UK. So for the volume that we have, we're able to trace, track and trace them. But what we do find is that a lot of these vehicles get moved to breakers yards where they are, where the parts are stripped from them and then packaged and shipped to Europe. So that does happen where the parts are used to repair typically a vehicle that would be damaged on the right hand side in Europe um, is most more likely to be damaged on the driver's side, the left-hand side in the UK and, and the right-hand side in the UK, sorry. Hmm. And so they do use a lot of parts um, sort of for, for repair of German cars and things like that. But I think the, 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 the horror stories that people have in their heads aren't really reality anymore. Um, and so we, you know, it's just not something that, re that reoccurs on our radar. And because we have um, IP level intelligence within our auction, if there was something untoward, we would be able to track that person right back to the computer that they logged in at. So I think people, you know, if anyone was going to ent in entertain um, the criminal fraternity, you wouldn't buy from Copart. Mm. Okay. Because, you know, from that sophisticated level um, intelligence that we have. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. Um... Now, reclaim parts. I don't know if you caught the uh, the webinar, the podcast this morning from uh, Chris Douglas and and uh, Chaz Ambrose um, talking about reclaim parts and recycle parts in the UK. But it's a hot topic once again, uh, mm -hmm. and this time it looks like there's a true desire to make it work. How can Copart and the vehicle recycling industry work together to to help collision repair centres and the insurers and uh, people who pay for for collision repair to adjust to the use of reclaimed parts in, in vehicle repair? So, um, well, I mean, obviously, that's kind of the, the wares that we sell feed that market. And we would be the biggest contributor to the green parts market. And most of the recyclers that operate in the UK are members um, and would purchase vehicles through us. So we're very much a broker in that industry. So most insurers have chosen to work with us because we then have the biggest supply. We then drive up the best returns for them. And therefore, 
the vehicles are then purchased by dismantlers and recyclers from us and broken for parts and then sold into the various green parts networks that exist. So, so I see ourselves playing a very key role in that. Um, we have a lot of discussions with insurers directly about the ability of um, about you know green parts and how they fit in the market. I think um, it is a it is a growing requirement. However, I think there's a lot of loopholes to go through with customers understanding the liability aspects of fitting kind of secondhand parts to your car when it's been involved in an accident and the provenance of those parts and the fact that you would be using parts from a car that had already been involved in an accident to repair another vehicle that's been in an accident. So, um, so personally, the integrity of those parts is important. I think cosmetic parts um, are more viable, but in reality, there's probably only 10% of parts that are available that could be actually reused. So I think it's, and, and when you consider the timescales in the insurance repair um, sort of process pipeline, and you consider that they're under time pressure, they're under, they have resource pressures, and they have financial pressures. Sometimes it makes it easier just to use OEM or non-OEM parts to repair things because you know exactly what you're getting and no, no adaptation is required. However, where I think green parts are really, really valuable is to my members. So my members are buying cars from us that are perfectly repairable if you don't have to factor in providing a higher car and, um, and tight timescales. So if you're buying cars from us and you can repair them at leisure, then using green parts to repair those cars is a very viable option. Um, and what we're seeing is that more and more green parts sort of um, distributors are setting up, but there isn't really a company um, other than really Hills that has an absolute national coverage for supplying parts. And I think there is a need for setting up an inventory and a very fast delivery process to make that viable because when you consider that other parts are delivered two three four times a day into the repair network you need to have a service that's as fast as and efficient as sort of amazon to um to make that genuinely work so i think it there is there's definitely an interest and all of us want to support recycling because nobody wants um you know we want the minimum number of vehicles crushed but we also want things repaired safely. So, um, so I think that that's, that's definite, definitely a business and an area that's, um, you know, recycling has taken off for sure. And we're very involved. And, and also we offer a service to our members that aren't sort of licensed to break vehicles. We will hive off those vehicles and allow them to come in and break them down. So we've got a couple of um, businesses um, that, you pull it, American named business, but where people can come and pluck parts off vehicles. And we have a break a bid for you product where we'll make a bid on your behalf for a breaker vehicle. We'll hold it at one of our facilities. And again, you can come and break it up, which is what a lot of our overseas buyers do. And then it's within our control regarding depollution and um, certificate of destruction and things like that. So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that isn't isn't always so well known. 
about what we do. So, so yeah, so we're, um, we're a great lover of green parts. Good. Good. Now, there's been some discussion, um, you know, in, in the press and, and in other, other areas about the sale of salvage vehicles for cash that's causing crime. Uh, and uh, the chief constable of West Midlands Police has, has quoted this in the Times, for example. Some other auctions have, have banned the use of cash to, to purchase the vehicles they sell. Can you outline Copart's position on cash purchases? Yeah, so, so I think um, the one thing that we sort of view is that um, where there's, you know, there's always going to be an element of crime. And I don't think it matters whether people are buying, paying in cash or using a stolen credit card. There'll always be criminals. Um, however, the stringent um, process that we go through in checking the members allows us to know about any sanctions on people. Um, secondly, you know, we're obviously abiding by money laundering and the strict adherence to those guidelines. And our view is that um, you know, while cash is a legal tender in the UK, then we will allow our business to take cash. However, saying that, you know, there aren't there are there are very few customers that are operating in the cash business now. You know, you do get recyclers that sell things for cash and want to buy things for cash, but it's very very strictly controlled. And during this COVID situation. Um, we have not been taking any cash because our operation centres have been closed to the public and it has not, you know, it's not impacted on the running of our business at all. So, you know, as, as and when cash becomes a less popular currency, which, you know, clearly COVID has pretty much nailed the use of cash. Um, you know, I can see that I can see that disappearing, but um, I don't really see making a stand. And, and, and also being the biggest salvage seller in the UK. Um, the police have not heavily engaged with us regarding those conversations, so I just feel that they don't see it as a as a as a major concern. They're fueled by um, you know sort of certain people that have fed information, but I think the West Midlands Police would be heavily engaged with us if they felt that there was a um, a big issue, and they're not. No, that's good. That's good. So. Looking, looking forward, looking ahead, what sort of future opportunities do you see for the um, the salvage industry and Copart? Uh, you know, and and if your crystal ball is working, you know, what do you think the mm -hmm. sector is going to going to look like in two, five, ten years time? Well, I think the sector that um, the sort of future for Copart is very much around um, continuing to evolve and deliver the great service that we give to our existing insurance partners because we've become incredibly integrated into their working practices. So for me, it's really important that we um, grow with the insurers and deliver um, as a supplier everything they need and more. Um, we'll be constantly receiving tech advances from our um, US parent company. The technology that sits behind our auction um, is is a huge investment for us and will continue to be um we spent 300 million on technology alone last year so it'll give you some indication of the the wealth and breadth of expenditure that we have which you know is unrivaled and, and it is our it is our ambition to be the global leader in in the management of salvage and that 
I can't see that slowing down anytime soon. Um, our ability to buy land um, is never ending. So um, we're, yeah, we're constantly looking to increase our operation centers and the coverage so that we can reduce road miles. No one else can do that. Um, so our speed of response for collecting a vehicle and delivering it to one of our facilities and photographing it, um, you know, will be, is, is still and will remain the fastest in the market. And the management information and length and breadth of our reporting and the flexibility of our reporting that we can give back to insurers is, you know, it remains a another big area of investment and interaction and live real time reporting because we've got no, you know, we don't want to hide from anything. So we allow them to have live real time reporting of our activities because ultimately we're handling their assets from the point of collection to the point of sale. Um, we want them to see exactly where their possessions are. And that's incredibly well received. And then the other areas that we've got expansion opportunities is very much in the whole car market. So the sort of automotive sector, low value part exchanges, um, helping dealer groups move on some of their stock. Um, although traditionally they would have always partnered with somebody like BCA or Mannheim, there is an element of the market um, with livery vehicles or high mileage or damaged vehicles or that sits very much better in our arena. So, um, you know, not wishing to compete with them, but there is a section of those contracts that sit far better with us. So that's definitely an opportunity for us. And um, so there's sort of the rental side, rental vehicles coming off higher, retail, um, fleet vehicles that have been adapted. Um, they sit very well with us and, and big repossessions from finance companies. So again that's you know that's absolutely our marketplace and where we'll um you know where we intend to dominate and um and that's that's very much the plan and and also i think the feedback we get um is is very encouraging so you know i hope that um you know we are seem to be doing the right thing and and there are some very strong supply chain providers in the insurance market um Audatex, Restimating, um, enterprise for replacement cars. So we sit there in that family of um, suppliers that have, you know, streamlined our services and adapted our services to meet the requirements. And um, sort of we're led to believe there's about 725, 750,000 sort of total loss vehicles um, in the UK every year. So, um, so, you know, that's our marketplace really. Hmm. And then, and then look at how we retail those categorize them and um, retail those sort of back to the, the customer base. Amazing. Amazing. So, I mean, you know, you, you do come across and you do strike me as a very, very inspiring uh, leader and, and uh, you know, well-respected leader. But what's what's inspiring you at the moment? What, what's, what, what's got you passionate at the moment about the work that you're doing? I think the rate of change, what, what has what I'm all I was delighted with was our response to COVID. You know, I I feel like I've spent um, a lot of time engaging with our with my senior team and building um, a really strong leadership team. And I have a very kind of holistic, inclusive management style, and I like everybody to um, to sort of challenge me and 
we put a lot of ideas on the table which we debate and I think when I said to the team look guys the PRA have identified through the FCA that that the claim service is um, a critical function and that no policyholder should be out of pocket and therefore we're going to have to continue to sell um, salvage vehicles during during the pandemic everyone was like great fine we can do it we can do this there was not one ounce of hesitation as to oh my god I'm worried about my safety, um, you know, and we obviously went through all of the safety plans and how we could keep our people safe. But the positive mental attitude um, of my team are really inspiring. And I, and I think for me, I get a huge amount of enjoyment out of seeing my people grow in strength and ability. And and I really get inspired by bringing people up through the ranks, identifying um, sort of bright younger people and motivating them to to achieve more and so that's one of my main um, levers really and then generally I'm sort of quite competitive I like I like um, I like being successful I work really hard at it um, and you know and I love what I have to love what I do and I genuinely do and I think once you've got the support of you know I, I have the support of an inspirational leader in Dallas in our headquarters there's nothing i wouldn't do for the business um you know to help support the growth and i think that's that mindset is very much something that you know we carry and we breed in the company and we have an amazing um employee share scheme and so everybody gets involved in that and they're very invested in the company's success and i think that's the one sort of unique factor that global companies can offer in that you don't just get paid you don't just get your bonus you have a chunk of the company and it's worth and that 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 definitely um commits you to um to going above and beyond in your role and and that that's something i particularly um see as incredibly valuable for us and then generally at the rate of growth um you know it's phenomenal um you know i sit on an it meeting and every month i've got 20 updates um, to what we're doing and and it's fantastic that you know we've got teams of people stationed around the world so that we've got developments got you know when we're in bed someone else is programming for us and um, so so no one else can kind of mirror that that rate of growth and I think I learned from working at the AA we were the national leader then you know streets apart from from our other competitors and I think I loved working for the best that was available. And I think here, here is exactly the same. You know, Copart by far, you know, is the best at what it does. Brilliant. No, that's amazing. So what advice could, could you give young and aspiring leaders who, who want to grow and develop their leadership skills within, within the industry? I think, the, well, the one piece of advice that I've always been given is, you know, work really hard. No, there is no one on the planet that will ever criticize me for being lazy and i think um i think that one thing i would say to people is you know just keep working hard you'll get recognized if you demonstrate flexibility commitment and hard work you don't have to be the most intelligent by any stretch because um it, it is very much around hard work and i do think it breeds results and and it inspires other people and I would like to think that, um, you know, that advice that I've been given has has definitely worked for me. And I think I see that, you know, what where I look out for people, I think they've gone above and beyond there. They've, you know, they've written that report 
um, and they've analysed it and they've and they've done a piece of work there that is really outstanding. And I think that given, you know, more and more people that have that sort of confidence and commitment to a job, um, they're bound to be recognised. And I think that, you know, I do find that there are a lot of younger people now that have had quite a privileged upbringing and are very much around, um, what about me? What about me? What about me? And, and you think, well, hang on a minute, get your head down, do some work. Um, deliver on that project and then we'll take a look at you um, and I think if you can get people that can engage with that then you know they've got a bright future but um, you know there's no I in team and um, and I think that that's definitely a culture that um, we need to see more of. That's good that's good and is there one thing that the UK government could do that would have a really big benefit to to, to the salvage industry to Copart and what would that be and why? I think um, from a government perspective, the one thing I would like to see is that an MOT is voided at the point of a serious accident. I think it's a good move that the um, that the V5 has been, you know, is not recirculated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the the MOT is something that's kind of been a bit of a grey area and is you know you i look at the vehicles all of the vehicles seriously damaged in one of my yards and think how can you possibly have a valid mot um so it's um it's that that's the one thing that i think ought to get picked up yeah. in the rounds but i think they're probably a little bit busy right now slightly slightly yeah okay and final question and one this is one we ask all our guests on the podcast what was your first car and do you have any special memories of that car all oh, right yes so my first car was um a d-reg mini a gold mini um an old leyland mini and um i've got some very fond memories of regularly driving it through a ford and being reminded by my father that it was a very low profile car and he was fed up with me ripping off the number plate and him and him sitting with me in the garage, drying it out with a hairdryer. So they are one of my fondest memories of, um, of that car. And being, um, it was a shortcut home. And I was regularly told that um, I was not to be, I was, I was to go the long way when it had been heavily raining. And I always used to try my luck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, a, they're, they're my, that's my favourite car, actually. Love it. Love it. Oh, that's that's brilliant. That is probably one of the better stories we've had for, for, for first cars. I, I love it. Jane, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, it's been a pleasure to uh, to talk to you and, uh, and, and thank you for, for taking that time. Yeah, thank you, Andy, for inviting me. And um, I really hope we can do more together in the future. Brilliant. Thank you. That was amazing. A big thank you to Jane for her time and her knowledge. You'll find details on how to contact Copart in the show notes. Please don't forget to take the time to like and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and give us a, give us a rating. Depollution podcasts are released every Tuesday.